Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard an alligator growl? Yeah, I hadn't either. That is until a couple of years ago when I visited a reptile farm in southern Colorado. I can now say from experience that an alligator growl is one of the most terrifying sounds I've ever heard. Words could never fully describe the sound I heard escaping from their toothy grins. Uh, The best way I can characterize it is, is as a low, guttural, prehistoric growl. I half expected to see the Tyrannosaurus Rex from Jurassic World emerge from the tree line the first time I heard it. However you would choose to describe it, the point is, the sound from their growl elicited a fear from the innermost parts of my being that was unlike anything I had ever felt before. And under normal circumstances, this newfound fear wouldn't have been a problem. I could have simply played the part of the gawking tourist uh, behind the protective safety of the exhibit at glass. But these weren't normal circumstances, and I wasn't there to play it safe that day. I had made the almost four-hour drive south from Denver and paid $100 for the unique opportunity to wrestle the very gators who are now growling back at me. A much wiser man probably would have listened to his instinctive flight response in that moment and turned and round and walked right back out the door with all his limbs intact. But the truth is, I've never been confused for a wise man. I was determined to stay and fight the beast, regardless of the mounting fear I now felt deep inside me. And initially, I was able to keep my fear in check partially through willpower and partially because we began the day by wrangling baby alligators that were less than a foot in length, not surprisingly which their growls were far less ferocious than their larger siblings. However, as the class progressed and the size of the gators got bigger and bigger, so too did the size of my fear. What started out as a case of low-grade anxiety quickly blossomed into suffocating terror. Now, inevitably, it all came to a head when the time came for us to wrestle a massive eight-foot alligator that was lovingly named Big Bertha. I can remember looking at that monster from outside of its enclosure as I desperately tried to size up how big it was in my mind. I felt like I was eyeballing a creature the size of a Volkswagen bus, except this VW had teeth and a tail. Whether Bertha was actually that big or not didn't matter. In that moment, the fear I felt had so intensely gripped my heart and mind that it rendered me powerless to act. All at once, I felt incredibly small, very weak, and very much alone. Didn't matter how much I tried to assure myself that everything was going to be okay or how desperately I wanted to play the part of the hero, I couldn't get beyond that horrible thought of what might actually happen to me if I set foot inside Big Bertha's lair. I left the reptile park that day with some incredible stories, but the entire experience was overshadowed by a sense of shame I felt by my inability to actually face my fears. When I desperately wanted to be strong, I acted weak. 
When I wanted to be filled with courage, I was overcome by my fear. When I wanted to trust in the presence and protection of the zookeepers, I found that doubt was my only companion. You see, the gators and their menacing growls hadn't beaten me that day. My fear did. And the story of my encounter with Big Bertha bears a striking resemblance to the story of my faith, especially during the past few months of the coronavirus pandemic. As a follower of Jesus and as someone who outwardly professes to be a Christian, I want my faith to be a living expression that accurately reflects my belief and commitment to Christ. I want to be um, someone who embodies a faith that is strong, bold, tenacious, and trusting in my Savior. After all, the Bible routinely exhorts me to exude courageous faith, right? I mean, I've grown up reading and hearing verses like 1 Chronicles 28.20, which says, Be strong and courageous and do your work. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Or maybe 1 Corinthians 15.58, which says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Or Ephesians 6.10 that says, Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Or 1 Corinthians 16.13 that says, Be on guard, stand firm in your faith, be strong, be courageous. And of course, 2 Timothy 1.7, which says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and sound mind. And finally, Psalms 31.24, which says, So be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. Are you starting to sense a theme here? Time and time again, the Bible characterizes my faith as one which is to be strong and full of courage. However, as life has grown increasingly more and more uncertain in recent weeks, and as my fears over the pandemic growl and bare their teeth at me, it feels like my faith more closely resembles a crumbling wall rather than the immovable object that the Bible describes. In the midst of news of infectious diseases, flattening curves, and prolonged quarantines, my faith can give out under the weight of my fear. Instead of being strong, I can feel weak and insecure. Instead of being courageous, I'm filled with trepidation. Instead of trusting God, I'm often overcome by my doubt. You see, these big Bertha encounters in life, like the pandemic we're now facing, have a way of exposing the difference between what I believe my faith should be and the reality of what it actually is. The truth is, guys, sometimes my faith has faltered in the face of fears over a COVID-19 outbreak. But I bet I'm not the only one, right? And the good news is that if you've experienced feelings of fear, anxiety, depression, instead of triumphant faith, you're not alone. In fact, it's more normal than you might think. Studies on the effects of the pandemic on mental health are revealing that a large majority of Americans are being impacted. The American Psychiatric Association recently conducted a poll that revealed 36% of Americans said the pandemic has had a serious effect on their mental health. According to another poll, 31% of Americans said they're sleeping less because of the coronavirus-related anxiety. While remote therapy services like Talkspace have reported 65% increase in their number of users since mid-February. The fears and anxiety that we feel are real. And it's important and healthy to verbally acknowledge those fears both to ourselves and to others. 
And during the season, those faith-stalling fears can come to us in many different shapes and sizes. For those that are living with a compromised immune system or a pre-existing condition, the fear of contracting the disease may loom like an ominous cloud over your faith. For those who have lost a job or for those who have been in the horrible position of having to lay off employees, the fear of financial instability can easily suffocate our faith as well. For our teenagers who are unable to participate in sporting events or graduations, FOMO, or the fear of missing out, is equally real and powerful. While our kids may also worry about what could happen to them, their parents, their siblings, or maybe even the family pet. The truth is, regardless of what form our fears may take, we've all probably experienced moments these past few weeks that have shaken our faith and left us feeling frightened or alone. So the question becomes, how do we practice courageous faith in a world overrun with fear about coronavirus? The good news is we're not the only people who have wrestled with faith-stealing fear. In fact, some of our favorite biblical heroes did as well. Turn with me to the first chapter of the book of Joshua. Now, for those of you who might need help locating the book of Joshua, it's actually the sixth book in the Bible, located immediately after the book of Deuteronomy. And while you turn there, let me just take this moment to give you some background on our story today. However, to do so, we need to step back in time before Joshua actually shows up on the scene, some 430 years before Joshua. You see, God had made a promise back then to a guy named Abraham that his descendants would be blessed and that they would be a blessing to others. Furthermore, God told Abraham that he would grow to become a great nation and that his descendants would be given their own land, the promised land. And as the book of Joshua opens, we find that Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, have indeed become a great people. But they still haven't taken possession of the land that God's promised them. You see, 40 years earlier, God chose Moses to lead the Israelites out from slavery in Egypt. And now after years of wandering through the wilderness, Joshua is poised to finally lead God's people into the promised land to fulfill the promise God had made to Abraham all those years ago. Can you just for a moment sense the anticipation that the people of Israel had in that moment? But the truth is the military conquest of that land was not going to be an easy feat for the Israelites. Though great in number, the Israeli people had no official army and no weapons to speak of. Additionally, the land was already inhabited by seven other more powerful nations, many of whom did have armies that were encamped in fortified cities. And to make matters even worse, the Israelites' beloved leader, Moses, the man who had stared down Pharaoh and delivered them out of slavery had just recently died before he even got a chance to set foot in the promised land. Talk about faith-crushing fears. I mean, I get stressed out now just even talking about it. By human standards, there was nothing about that situation that would have elicited any sense of hope, confidence, or courageous faith in the Israeli people. The dream of the promised land must have seemed dead on arrival. And I'm certain that the Israelites' newly commissioned leader, Joshua, 
was probably wrestling with some shaky knees along with a wavering faith in the face of such overwhelming odds. And to be honest, who could blame him? It's at this point in the story when things seem to be the darkest that God shows up and shares with Joshua the source of courageous faith, despite the very difficult circumstances that now lay before him. And let's pick up the story in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. It says this, Have I not commanded you, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As God addresses Joshua directly, notice that his charge to practice courageous faith in the face of fear left no wiggle room for interpretation. God doesn't tell Joshua, hey, Joshua, it's totally optional to be strong or courageous, or that, you know, it would be a really good idea if you were really strong or courageous. No. God says, my command is to be strong and courageous. For Joshua, fear and discouragement were not to be part of his vocabulary. He was given a divine directive to practice a bold faith as he led the Israelite people into the promised land. But more important than the command itself was the reason for which Joshua was called to practice courageous faith. You see, the source of his strength is revealed at the end of verse 9, when God says, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, the call to bravery was directly linked to God's promise to be present with Joshua in all his circumstances. I want you to pause for just a moment and think about what that promise must have meant for Joshua in that moment. You see, in, in the face of such overwhelming odds, Joshua's strength alone was never going to be enough to see him through. Josh couldn't go get a membership at the local gym and ever get swollen enough to physically conquer his problems. He couldn't download enough meditation apps or write enough positive affirmations on post-it notes and then hang them around the tent to um, encourage himself to ever be courageous enough to mentally overcome his adversity. He couldn't build enough chariots, fashion enough bows, or surround himself with enough warriors to win the battle in front of him. See, being strong and courageous is meaningless if it's based solely on our own strength and ability. Because at the end of the day, the task was just too large, and the enemies were just too fierce for Joshua's puny strength. I think we can all sympathize with Joshua in this moment, especially with all that's happening around us in the world right now. I know I certainly can. We're all faced or we're currently facing situations in life where we recognize that if left to our own human devices, we're powerless to make a difference. As we said earlier, that might be a global pandemic, the loss of a job, a doctor's diagnosis, an elderly parent, or the stock market crash. Whatever the situation, we've all stood in the shadow of something much, much bigger than us and we knew we didn't possess the strength to overcome it. That feeling of helplessness can be terrifying and can utterly crush our faith. But here's the amazing part about God's promise. When, when Joshua recognized that I can't, 
God says that I can. Let me say that again. Where Joshua recognized that I can't, God says that I can. Because of God's promise, there wasn't any situation, any problem, or any enemy that Joshua would ever have to face alone. The Lord would always be his constant support and supply. If Joshua was concerned about any obstacles that stood between the Israelites and the promised land, he could be certain that God was infinitely more concerned than he was. You see, Joshua didn't need to fight the battles. That job was reserved for the God who promised to be there with him wherever he went. Instead, he was simply to practice courageous faith in light of God's presence and count on his guidance, support, supply, and care. The source of Joshua's strength was the promise of God's presence. Now, I know what you're thinking. Because I'm thinking it as well. If God knocked on my door and announced that he'd be at my side through thick and thin, then I'd probably have a little more faith too when life got difficult. That must have been nice for a good old Josh, right? Good for him. And while it's true that God's promise to Joshua was unique and special, as followers of Jesus, we also have a very unique and special promise that we can claim as our own when we feel afraid or when our faith feels weak. In the final chapter of the book of Matthew, the author recounts Jesus' last words as he ascends to heaven after his resurrection. As he departs, Jesus makes a promise to his followers that it has huge ramifications for us today. Check out what Jesus says here. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 and 20 reads, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And you can be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, just like the story of Joshua, Jesus gives charge to his followers to go and share the good news of the gospel with the entire world. And just like Joshua, if left to their own devices, that could feel like almost an impossible task. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? Like God's promise to Joshua, Jesus promises followers that he will be with them too. But what does that have to do with us in 2020 as we navigate through our fears over global pandemics? Wasn't Jesus speaking directly to those who had witnessed him ascending into heaven? Well, it's true. Jesus is making a promise to his immediate audience. But the words that follow that promise are a total game changer for us today. Just listen to what he says. After Jesus makes the promise, he says, I am with you always. He concludes by saying, even until the end of the age. Now that term, end of the age, is better translated as end of the world. So Jesus clearly had a larger audience in mind seeing as how none of those present at the ascension live to see the end of the world, as evidenced by the fact that we're here and they're not. That means that Jesus' promise of presence was both specific and universal, specific to those followers who were present to hear it, and universal to include his followers from every age until the end of the world. You see, Jesus promises to be with us always, with you, with me, with every believer in every circumstance. 
The promise of Jesus' presence is our source of courage when the world threatens to fill us with fear. His presence comforts us and sustains us through all our days, whether we are in weakness, sorrow, joy, power, pain, or global pandemics. He promises that His presence will assure us that history is not out of His control and that the kingdom of God has indeed come, that He is present in our difficult times, and that the work that He accomplished on the cross of Calvary is available to all who believe and call on His name. Just like Joshua, we have a promise of presence, but our promise is far greater. Whereas Joshua's promise was limited to a specific event, specifically conquering the promised land. Our promise, Jesus' promise, can be called upon to strengthen our faith at any time throughout the entirety of our lives. It's not listed, limited to a specific event. I think the Bible is trying to teach us that we should look to Jesus as our source of strength when circumstances threaten to fill us with fear. Practicing courageous faith is built on the knowledge that Jesus will never leave our side. Like Joshua, the promise of Jesus' presence can help us practice courageous faith too. Let me uh, give you a real-world example of what I'm talking about. Raise your hand if you're a kid, or if at any time in your life you were a kid. Now, I understand that some of you may need to think long and hard to remember back that far. I'm just saying, but raise your hand if you were ever a kid. Now, when you were a kid, was there ever a time when you were afraid of monsters hiding underneath your bed or the boogeyman poking out from behind your closet? And typically, let me ask you, when did those monsters most often threaten to show up? Rarely did James P. Sullivan or Mike Wazowski creep out from behind the shadows when your parents were present, right? It's when they left and the lights went out that our fears of what might be hiding in the darkness started to swirl in our imaginations. And the truth is, the presence of your parents had the ability to change the atmosphere in the room. When mom and dad were there with us, we didn't have to fear. Not because of the strength we possessed as kids, but because we trusted that our parents were more than capable of kicking the butt of any monster who was foolish enough to pink out from underneath our bed, right? And the same is also true of our relationship with Jesus. The promise of His presence can change the atmosphere in our lives, not because of our own strength, but because the strength of our God. Jesus is our source of strength when circumstances threaten to fill us with fear. Now, the challenge with practicing courageous faith isn't whether or not Jesus is with us in the midst of difficult circumstances. He is. We've already seen that Jesus made it clear that he will be with us in every circumstance. Instead, I think the, the challenge is more often than not lies with us, with you and with me. In our busy lives, very few of us rarely slow down enough to sit in the presence of the one who offers us strength and comfort to see, through the very, see us through every season of life. And look, I totally get it because... I'm just as guilty as the next person of when it comes to making time to be in the presence of my Savior. I will set my alarm to get up early and spend time with Jesus, and instead of sitting down and talking with the Lord, I end up, what, scrolling through my social media feed, laughing at cat videos and Tiger King memes. Or, 
Maybe I tell myself that uh, next week I'll get serious about my relationship with Jesus, but right now I really need to focus on fill in the blank. Maybe that is my job, my family, my spouse, my fitness, my video games. We allow the tyranny of the urgent to rob us of our promised presence with Jesus. And then we wonder why our faith feels so weak when life gets hard. So what is one thing that we can do this week to lean into the presence of Jesus to begin practicing courageous faith? Thankfully, I think God knew that this would be a challenge for us as he gave Joshua some very practical instructions as to how we could experience bold faith through spending time in his presence of his heavenly Father. Check out what God says to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 8 of the book of Joshua. Keep this book of the law, meaning the Bible, always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. You see, God tells Joshua to spend his time in his presence by speaking or reading the Bible, by routinely reflecting on its words, and go figure, by actually doing what it says, right? In other words, we can start to grow in courageous faith simply by making time for Jesus' presence through reading and meditating on what God's Word has to say. Now, look, I get it. If you're not in the practice of reading the Bible, the thought of getting up or making time to read the Bible can seem a little bit intimidating. But if that's you, I want to challenge you this week. Will you be willing to commit to take time once this week to start reading God's Word? I would recommend that you start with the book of John, as it'll give you some powerful insight into the priorities and characteristics of Jesus. And if you already meet with Jesus once a week, can you commit to spending time reading the Bible twice a week? And if you already read God's Word twice a week, commit to doing it three times, and so on and so forth. Because the truth is, there's always more room for God's presence to grow in our lives. As we commit to spending time with Him, our faith and trust in Him will grow more and more courageous. As we begin to look to Jesus as the source of our strength, we can begin to practice courageous faith based on the presence of the one who promises to never fail us or abandon us. I want you to pause for a moment and reflect on what your life would look like if you were practicing courageous faith. What would it look like if you started fearing less? What would it look like if you stopped giving in to doubt? What would it look like if you stopped relying on your own strength and abilities to win the day? What would your faith look like if we really began to start trusting in the presence and provision of Jesus? Would it change the way we see all those growling gators in our lives, both the small circumstances as well as the big Bertha circumstances as well? Also, if you remember from Jesus' final words in Matthew 28, we have been charged as followers of Jesus to share the good news of the gospel with the world. We have been given this hope so that we can edify and build up those around us. We've been promised the presence of Jesus that we might shine his light and love in the, with others in the church, in our community, and in our places of work. What would it look like to a world overrun with fear about coronavirus if the followers of Jesus began to practice courageous faith, even when it doesn't make sense by human standards? 
What would it look like for our friends and neighbors to see and experience people who not only say that they trust Jesus with their lips, but truly practice it with their lives? You think that might prompt them to wonder what's different about us or question what's missing in their own lives. You think it might prompt questions of faith or open doors to share about life-changing um, presence of Jesus. Courageous faith has the power not only to change the atmosphere in our own lives, but in the lives of others as well. This week, let's commit to look to Jesus as our source of strength when life threatens to fill us with fear and practice courageous faith in light of His promise and provision of our Savior. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.